Good morning. Hey, I have been looking forward to this all week. Can I tell you that? I have really been looking forward to being with you. And after this, I'm going to join some of our Norridge family over there. Hey, uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Josiah, or people call me Pastor Josiah. And I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of New Life Community Church as a whole. And so my responsibility is the 27 locations, the international. But I, I want you to know more important than my role or my position or what God's entrusted me with, I want you to know three things about me. Number one, I really love Jesus. It's, it's the most important thing about me. It's the most important relationship I have in my life. Jesus Christ has changed me from the inside out. He captured my heart from a young age, and I am never going to be the same because of my encounter with Jesus. And so that's, the, you know, people say, hey, there's a lot of important things I can tell you, but number one, Jesus is the most important thing in my life, and he is the reason I exist. He's the reason um, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. The reason I follow him is because of all that he's done. Number two, I have to let you know that I love, love, love my family. And so this is a picture of my family. That's my wife, Carolina, my son, Saint, and uh, the, that was a photo from a few months ago. We are due for baby number two. So in December, we got another little baby boy coming. So anytime I see parents, I'm like, I feel your like, newborn pain if you have a newborn baby. So uh, love being a part of that. And I also uh, just want to let you know the third thing that I am just crazy about, deeply in love with, is I am deeply in love with the church, the people of God. Uh, I am so thankful that God has, has, has told us, hey, we don't have to do this alone, but we get to do this together, that we're called to do it together. That the word for church in the Bible is the, in, in the Greek is the ekklesia. It means the called out ones. That we're not just people that are sitting next to each other, but we are really a family of God that are called to live and walk alongside one another in faith. And so there has been no group of people that has more transformed my life than being a part of a community that's called the church. People who encourage me and love me and spoken to me. And so very thankful to be a part of this here, this gathering of believers. And I can tell you what I can tell. There's some faith and some passion in the room. So that's a good thing, a good thing to see. I also want to honor, the Bible says, give honor where honor is due. I want to honor the amazing job that Pastor Tom has done and, and Tracy as well. Can we give it up for them? I, know, I don't know if Tracy's in the room anymore, but uh, I really want to, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Pastor Tom and Tracy, they are the real deal. They are the real, real deal. And Pastor Tom felt like, by the way, I, I think he shared this, but he felt a strong calling from God to step in in this season. Like it wasn't just, hey, there's something open, will you step in? He felt a prompting from the spirit of God that he was supposed to step in and be here to pastor. Like this is something that God had placed upon his heart. But Tom and Tracy, they do so much. They love people. And they, the, most, the th biggest thing I say is behind the scenes, they are just the same people. And they radically love Jesus with all of their heart. And they love this church. So we have some great, great, great oversight here. New Life, as was said, is 27 different locations around Chicagoland area. And we, we, we try to communicate this, but I want you to know that, you, that New Life is a very unique church. I have the privilege of being able to connect with churches from all over the country. I was in a gathering last week in Atlanta, 
with some, uh, some of the largest churches around the country. And I was there with actually Kent, and uh, I was there with uh, Pastor Eric. And while we were there on that trip, what we walked away with with a greater sense of the uh, uniqueness of this church that we are a part of called New Life Community Church. You know, most churches, if they have a multi-site approach, right, where there's multiple locations, most times that's one pastor who's being videoed from a main location, and that pastor is shown at every single location that where if they have five locations or six locations, you know, if you've known now, Pastor Tom preaches, that's not our approach. That's not a bad approach. But ours has come from the context that, we've, that we feel like God has called us to. So, you know, many years ago, my father, Mark Job, was on our team, was fasting for 40 days. This is before really multi-site was even a thing. And as they were fasting, water fast, I mean, they had lost 40 pounds. They were thin. My dad felt like the last day, I need to go into a hotel, and I just need to spend just time away praying and fasting and seeking God. Well, on that final day, as he was praying, there was two things that happened. He had a, when he was praying, he saw a vision of the city of Chicago, the map of the city of Chicago, with red dots all over it, over it, representing churches. And as he continued to pray and continued to pray, he was praying, and he felt like he prayed this prayer that he felt like that, that wasn't from me, that didn't originate in my heart. He felt like this was a Holy Spirit prayer. Here's what he prayed. Lord, I, I pray that we would reach 1% of the city of Chicago. And so from that, the team came back together and said, how would we even reach 1% of the city of Chicago? And they said, well, we wouldn't want to just plant one mega church right in the middle of it and have people drive from all over. We would want to reach neighborhood by neighborhood with pastors that reflect that neighborhood and contextualize the local ministry to be able to reach people that live blocks away from the church. If you know this, Chicago is the most historically most segregated city in America. And so we said, we want to reach neighborhood by neighborhood, this beautiful Chicagoland area with pastors and people who love the community, who are able to contextualize the community. And all these years later, 45 services, 20, 27 uh, uh, locations, God is doing an am amazing thing through this church. So can, I, can we give it up just for you guys being part, the leadership, what God's done? By the way, you guys had a gift. I feel a little pressured this morning. I feel like I had to have, like, another extra cup of coffee or something. You guys had Danny Lopez last week. And, and Pastor Danny, and I already know that Pastor Tom comes juiced up already. I mean, that, he, Pastor Tom comes with some energy. But then you got Pastor Danny. So I feel like I got to do two or three shouts with you. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I love both of those men, those pastors so much. But we jumped into a series called Life Together. A series really talking about this new life that we're living in Jesus means that we're called into new community with believers, and, and how do we live that out together? Just like it's better to give than it is re to receive, I'll tell you what, it's better to live in a Christian and be with a Christian community than to try to do your faith on your own. It really is. If you want to struggle your entire Christian walk, do it on your own. Do it on your own. Um, because that's a, that's a human way of thinking about it. God says, I've given you the church to do this together. So we're following in that series, Life Together. We're doing a pulpit swap. That's why I'm here today. 
Uh, I don't actually know where Pastor Tom is, but all the pastors are switching all over different New Life locations. And so before we dive into this series of Life Together again, we're going to talk about how we can love one another in a new way. I want to pray that God would speak directly to you in the room. I believe that every time that the church comes together that Jesus Christ is present. I believe that Jesus' is Christ, Jesus' power is present. I, I still believe that the gospel has power, that when it goes forward and proclaimed in a simple way, like Colossians 4 says, that there is just something that happens where pe people's ears are open, people's eyes are open for the first time, and they realize this Jesus is real, and I want to give my life to him. And we continue to see, I, I love that there was a family I met here uh, that just got baptized a few weeks ago. And I thought, what a beautiful thing to encounter Jesus and have your life transformed. So can we pray for that this morning? Lord Jesus, we pray to you knowing that, Jesus, you are not in a tomb in Israel, that there is no place where your bones can be found or excavated, that you after three days, walked out of that grave. And because you walked out of that grave, and because you were the first to resurrect, that changed everything for us. And so we're here today because we believe, we believe that Jesus, you are who you said you are. And that we believe that you sit at the right hand of the Father so that when we pray, we're not just praying empty words that only people are hearing, but we're praying words that the divine is hearing. The unseen God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, hears our words and is able to answer our prayers. So we submit a request to you this morning, God, that you would use these words, your words, God, to bring people closer to you, to encourage hearts, to infuse hope, maybe even to draw somebody in this room that doesn't know where they stand in their faith, and they would have their eyes open for the very first time for your glory, and they would be drawn to the overseer of their souls, the one who loves them and paid the price for them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as I've become a father uh, just a little bit over a year, or just a, around a year and a half ago, one of the strange things of becoming a father is getting used to being called a father or a dad. It's just a new title I wasn't used to. And so last year's Father's Day, I went to, I was talking with my mom, and I was saying, hey, mom, what are we going to do for dad for Father's Day? I really, I really want to know what are we going to do, how are we going to celebrate, what restaurant are we going to go to? And my mom stopped me, and she said, Josiah, don't you mean what are we going to do for both of you? I'm thinking, 100%, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a, she said, you're a dad too. And I said, yeah, I know, because I'm not sleeping. You know, you think about your little, your little boy. This guy's keeping me up all night. But here, here's, here's what happened. Even though, even though my status had been updated, my thinking was still outdated. See, see, my position had changed. I was no longer just a married man, but I was a married man, and I was a father now. I have a son. I'm, I'm not just a, a man. I'm, I'm a father. My position, my title, my place had changed, but my thinking had not caught up yet. Paul, when he starts in Romans chapter 12, says this exact same thing. 
He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Why does he say that? He's saying your new position in Jesus has changed. Amen. Hey, you were dead. Now you're alive if you're a follower of Jesus. Hey, you were an orphan. Now you're a son or daughter if you're a follower of Jesus. You were an enemy and now you're a friend if you're a, son, if you're a follower of Jesus. Your status has changed and it will never go back to the way that it was. You were in darkness, and now you are children of the light. You, are slave, you were slaves to sin, and now we are slaves to righteousness. Your position and status has been updated. But what Paul is trying to help us understand by the Spirit of God, he's saying, hey, listen, your status has been updated. Your position changed. But your thinking? Your thinking, you, you need to make sure your thinking catches up to where you are now. And your new reality. Because you can be a Christian with a new status and still have the thinking of the world. And so Paul, out of the famous verses in 12, 1 and 2, then goes into the different ways that a spirit-empowered life, how we're supposed to live that life. Now that we have the Spirit of God empowering this new way of living, we have this new status. Read the first 11 chapters of Romans. Now he wants to say, I want to be clear with you about the way that God has called you to live in this new life, in this new way that he's called you to, that's different than how the world operates. If you've been a Christian long enough, you, can, you know there's a difference between the way, if you're following Jesus, in the way that you live your life versus the way that other people live their life. There's a difference in the way that we manage our money. There's a difference in the way that we grieve. You with me this morning? I was with a father this past week, and I don't want to dip us too low, but I was with a father this past week who his son, 15-year-old son, 15-year-old son, tragic accident on the side of the road, brain swelling, brain dead, dead. 15-year-old son. I was talking to him on a phone. We're both crying. Talk to him about the reality. Just trying to encourage him, be there with him, not trying to say too much. But he had the phone. He's telling me, hey, we, we're talking about how we don't grieve without hope. We don't even grieve the same way anymore. You know why? Because there's a reality. His son was a follower of Jesus. So he has a reality that I am heartbroken beyond belief. He couldn't even barely speak. But you know what? My God is still good, and I will see my son and the son of God again in heaven. So Paul wants us to understand, though, as we're this new creation and we're living in new community, that there's a new way that he wants us to live our life. And if you've built relationships with other believers, you know that relationships in general are tough. But especially when you're building relationships with the church, sometimes those old ways of the world can weave their way into the church. And so Paul wants to explain to us how we can really love people and treat people in the right way. So we're going to just go through four verses here. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I'm going to read all three, or all four verses. Here we go. Paul starts by saying this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So he's talking about this new way for us to live. He starts off with the most important thing, more important than faith, more important than hope, is love. And what Paul says is the way that we love needs to be different than the way that we used to love in the world. He says love must be sincere. In the New King James Version, it says love must be without hypocrisy. The Greek word there is hupokritesis. Can you say that with me? Hupokritesis. I'm not going to ask you 10 minutes later to remember that. <laughs> Does that sound similar to an English word that you know? Hupokritesis? Does it sound a little bit like our English word that has the same origin, hypocrite? See, it has the same meaning. Our meaning of the word hypocrite comes from this word hupokritesis in the Greek, which was a word that was used at the Greek theater. And as the actors would be on stage, the actors, it represented actors being on stage. And in that day with Greek theater, each actor would play multiple roles. And they would have these large masks in their hand. And every time that they played a new role, if they were playing character one, they'd put on that mask. They'd say their lines. They'd take that mask off, walk around a little bit, put on the character two, play this character, say their lines. And so each actor had multiple roles that they played. And it came to be known as somebody that's acting or pretending to be something that they're not. Hypocrite. Paul says, don't pretend to love people. That may be acceptable in the ways of the world or the old you, but the new you, don't, don't, don't pretend to care about somebody. Love always protects. Don't pretend that you're going to protect someone if you're not. Don't, don't fake that type of love if it's not real. And Paul ex extends on this idea by not just saying, hey, he wants to un understand who we should love. We should love everybody. But he really wants to bring it home to us because sometimes even the way that we are in the church, we, we, we live in absence of the reality of the truth that God's already put in place. Do you know that you and I in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, are not just friends or acquaintances? You, you may not even know somebody four rows back, but if they're a follower of Jesus, can I tell you this? They are spiritual family. Spiritual family. Paul says in verse, uh, in, in verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another in love. The word here is brotherly love. What Paul says is you and your new mindset and your new reality, you guys need to love one another like your family. You know, when you're family and you have something happen, you drop everything to be there for family. You have a family member that's struggling to pay their rent. You don't say, I hope you make it through this month. No, you say, hey, what can we do? Hey, you're family. You just get in a disagreement with someone. You say, hey, we're brothers. Let's work through this. I mean, we're not just friends. We're brothers, right? There's a greater emphasis. You're saying, hey, we're family. This is not just the way we treat everybody else. We have a special context, a different relationship than what we have with other people. Sometimes we're in the church with people, and uh, I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes too. I'm, uh, you know, there's a lot of people. I meet a lot of people. Sometimes we say what? Oh, hey, brother. Hey, brother. 
It's kind of our way of not, we don't remember their names. We're like, hey, sister. Hey, see ya, sister. It's like three months. We're still calling them sister. Sister, hey, see ya. It's like, but sometimes we do that because we forget. And what God is saying is don't just use those words, mean those words, live those words. And love one another in a way that's real. It's tough, though, sometimes, right, if we're being honest with one another. Can we be honest this morning? You know, I, I, I had the Lord convict me in this area a few years ago. There was a, a, a guy I went to one of our all-church gatherings that we had together in the Odium. And I showed up there, and I was kind of in the lobby area, and I ran into a few of my friends, so I was talking with some buddies. And uh, I don't think I was a pastor yet. And, and this guy comes into this group, this tall, lanky guy, got a kind of scruffy beard, grayish hair. And he comes in, and he's kind of moving his body like this. And he comes in, and he kind of like breaks the circle and, and looks right at me and says, I know you. And he goes by me like this. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't know you. He's like, he's like, I know you. And he's like moving. And I was just as uncomfortable. It was like, I don't really know him. And I just kind of briefly, hey, yeah, you know, good to, good to meet you. All right, we'll see you around. And, and he kind of walked off. And I, my friend started laughing. like, I, you know, I don't know who that guy is. We, you know, maybe he's some other location. Maybe he's somebody else. Well, two weeks later, I'm at Midway. And I finish the sermon. And who comes up to me? Same guy. He's moving his body. He comes up to me and he talks to me and he says, hey, pastor, I want you to, hey, my name is Chuck and I want to talk with you about some, and he, what I, I don't even remember the conversation, but I just remember he's moving his body. He's kind of this socially awkward character. He's a little bit different. And I remember feeling like, oh, this is, you know, sometimes, you know, whatever, you know, this is a little bit of a strange cat here. Maybe I'll, I'll just kind of move him along quickly. So I have my conversation with him. I keep it short, and I kind of just brush him. I don't give him that full time, really press in, really care deeply about. I just kind of say, hey, say what I need to say and move on. And as he walked off, I will never forget this. I was standing right by the stage. He was walking off the left, and I felt the spirit of God convict him. And I felt the spirit of God say, how you treated him, Josiah, is how you treat me. You know what God was calling me out on? He was calling me out on my fake love. See, you act like you care, but you don't really care. You act like you love, but you don't really love. You act like you're really invested, but you're not really invested. And when somebody's different or difficult, you don't have that same love that you would have with other people. God was calling me out on that fake love. The ne- I was so convicted. The next time I saw him, I like ran to him. I found him, and I just said, hey, I would... What's your name? Let's get Chuck. Tell me more about your story. I sat with him. I found out that he was in the army, that he had this this condition, this disease that made his body, he couldn't control his body. I found out about his two daughters and his grandchildren. I found, heard his story, how he came to Christ. And I got to know this soul, this person that God had placed, uh, had placed and brought under my care. And I said, it changed my perspective on how to love people forever. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to love your family most of the time. But what about those people that are difficult, challenging, different? Do you love them in the same way that if it was Jesus Christ standing in front of you, you would give him all your attention and energy and love? Or did you, would you just pass them along? And even if they didn't catch it, you know what? God caught mine. He said, Josiah, I'm calling you to love in a way that's different. I want you to love in a way that's sincere, that's real, where you really love and care about people. 
And this is what Paul is saying. Paul wants us to value people regardless of their status, right? Listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, honor one another above yourselves. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. This word honor is this idea of putting other people first or giving them preference. God's saying in the world, you put yourself first. You do what's best for you. When you're a part of my family, in this new life that we're living, we put other people before us. We put their preferences. How can we love them? How can we care about them? God is saying, that, that's different. It's, it's foreign to us. It's a little bit like, I don't know, I'm not super comfortable with that. God says, no, no, no. But, but that's why I've given you my spirit for you to live out this. Because my spirit will transform you from the inside out so that you can learn to treat people, to put others before yourself, to not just think about what you get from it, but to think, what can this person get from it? How can I benefit them? How can I value them? And in the culture that Paul was speaking, Paul was speaking to a culture that had masters and slaves. Even in that context, he was saying, masters, think about your slaves first. I mean, this would have been blown the minds of the people that were listening to what Paul was saying. He's saying, regardless of your status in our culture, regardless of your race, regardless of your income, regardless of your background, when you're brought into the family of God, let me tell you, and even if you're not in the family of God, you have inherent worth and value because you were made in the image of God. In the image of God. In Nazi Germany, they killed disabled people right along with the Jews. Why? Because if you're disabled, you're not as able as other people, which means you don't have as much value, so we'll kill you right alongside with the other people. And by the tens of thousands, people were killed. And what we do sometimes with our language is we rob people of the value that God has given them. Every genocide, if you read the seven, eight steps of genocide, it always starts with the changing of the language. We, it's, it's hard to kill your neighbor, Tom. It's easier to kill a, a cockroach. Same language that they use with the Rwandan genocide, same language that they use in Nazi Ger Germany, same language that we use with abortion. Why would you call it a baby? Let's call it a fetus. Because it's harder to kill a baby than it is to kill a fetus. And God's saying, no, no, don't call people what you don't think about them the way that you used to. You need to make sure that you see them with the eyes that I have and the value that I've placed upon their life. They have value because they're made in my image. They have value in this church because they're brothers and sisters with one another. So let's treat one another like family. Paul continues on and brings us, as he's talking about these different key areas in our life, and the value and the understanding and this new mindset that we need to put on as we take off the old mindset of the world. And he brings it to an area that's so prevalent to us today, this new mindset, he says, that I want you to bring into your workplace. Anyone work in an environment that's a tough environment? Can we be honest this morning? I see you in the, I see you in the back of it. Anyone in an environment? You're just like, it is, I got to pray up before I even go into the office, Right? I mean, I am, I am just like the temptation, the pull, the challenge. I mean, it is just the bosses. It is just a tough environment to follow Jesus. You are not alone in that. And Paul says, this is the new way, this is the new mindset that we should have. He says, never be lacking in zeal, 
but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He's talking about two things here, action and attitude. He wants us to be hardworking, but he wants us to have uh, passion or zeal for what we do as well. I was in the grocery store not too long ago, and there was a lady who was bagging groceries. And uh, you ever just, you know, you ever run into someone, you just know they're a Christian? Like, after a while, you're like, this is just your radar, Christian radar is like, beep, 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 beep. You're like, you're, you're a believer. I, I got it. Well, I'm working, I'm, I was in Mariano's. We were going through with my wife. You know, everyone's just kind of like, I hope I'm almost done. I hope it's three more hours till my shift is done. This lady's bagging groceries, and I've never run across anybody that has more joy bagging groceries. She's just like, how you guys doing? And what a great day it is outside. I'm like, it is literally raining with lightning outside. She's like, God is good, and this is beautiful. And wow, you guys, great smiles, and I love. And she just has like this infection. You know, you, you could pick up the Christian link and bless you. And I'm like, all right, beep, beep. I know what's going on over here. You're a Christian. But I walked away thinking this lady that does a job that millions of people do is doing with attitude that few people do. She has an attitude of saying, hey, I don't, she probably doesn't love what she does. She probably, do, you know, probably a million other things. She probably doesn't get treated any better than anybody else's boss treats them in this room. But you know what? She has a passion for what she's doing. She has a zeal and an energy that she's bringing to work. She's doing with excellence. And I think here is the key secret to how we bring a new mentality into an old workplace is that we realize that the person that signs our paychecks is not our ultimate boss. Our ultimate boss is Jesus Christ himself. That's what the Bible says. I've worked in environments, big box retailers, different places, where I just know it's a tough environment because, you know, you're comparing yourself to other people, right? Why should I work so hard when they're sleeping in the back room? But why should I work so hard and I'm getting paid less than that person? They're being, they're, you know, they're, you know, just working when the boss comes around the corner. Why? And so we wrestle with this, and it's easy to get our passion and our hardworking spirit snuffed out by the work environment that we're in. And so I want to remind you, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, people should be able to identify you not by your Bible at lunchtime or not by your Christian lingo, but by your work ethic that you have because you serve a different boss. And you are going to serve him and love him and say, Jesus, I may not love what I'm doing right now. I'm cleaning this. My boss may not be the best. But you know what, Jesus? I am doing this for you. Doing it for you. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human boss. Since you know that you will receive, here's the motivation, part of the motivation, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Some of you need to hear that because you've allowed yourself to be conformed to the way of your workplace. You need to be reminded that, hey, listen, you may work there. Let's use biblical language. You may be in the world, but you are not of the world. You may be in your workplace. You may have a job title that's similar to other people, but your status has been changed. You are a follower of Jesus. God sees you and loves you, calls you his own, washed you of your sins, 
Your status is not the same. You stand different than other people around you. You are a son or daughter of the Most High. You are royalty. A royal priesthood is what the Bible says, a holy nation. And so this reality should shape everything that we do when we say, Jesus, I need to remember in the middle of the workplace that I'm doing it for you. Doing it for you, Jesus. And the final thing that uh, uh, Paul says, he finishes with two verses here, the new mindset, and he talks to us about trials. Trials. Hey, can, I be, can, we, can we be honest with each other one more time this morning? Would you raise your hand if you're going through some, somewhat of a trial right now? Big or small, I'm not going to ask you to go into details. If you're going through a trial, if you looked around the room, if you saw, there, there's a ton of people with their hands up. This is part of the way that life is. Part of the way is life in, in life is you go through trials. And so in speaking to that, Paul says in verse 12, the mindset that we should have is be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. You know, we could have joy in hope because that we know that no matter what we go through, there's truth behind it from the word of God that helps us understand what the end goal is. Let me give you one of the verses that has been one of my key verses when I go through trials is this. Romans 8 says that God can work all things for the good of those who love him. All things. So when you are in the middle of a storm and a trial, God can use that to develop you like no other season to make you the person that he's called you to be in the image of Jesus. You know, sometimes we pray things, God, sometimes we pray things we don't even know what we're praying. God, I want more patience. Give me patience like Pastor Tom, God. Give me that patience. And God gives you a new coworker at work. <laughs> He's testing your patience. And you are just like, this person drives me crazy. And you're saying, God, why take this person out of my life? And God's like, what are you saying? You asked for patience, so I brought you someone in your life that was going to require you to grow in patience so that you can be the person that has patience and go to another level in your faith. Did you forget what you asked for? <laughs> can I tell you a crazy thing right now? This, is, this, is, this will blow some of your minds if you allow this to sit in. Can I tell you something? Some of you right now are in trials in this season currently because you prayed a prayer in the last season that God is answering. You prayed to be somebody that you weren't right now, and you said, God, refine me and break me and move in me. And God said, oh, I'll do it. And God brings it, not in your timing, but in his, to develop you and draw you to make you his. And you're going through it saying, God, take me out of this, shorten it. But God loves you so much that he's going to allow you to go through that. Because he knows that he's going to be there every step of the way with you to walk through that. When I go through some, some things, I just, I don't understand it all the time. But sometimes I go, you know what, God? I know that you're doing this for my good. I know, God, that good can come out of this. One of my spiritual mentors, a guy named Peter, who was a pastor in England, during the pandemic, told me a story that I will never forget. I called Peter, and Peter has a really bad spine issue, and so he used to travel a lot, but now he's in a wheelchair. I mean, this is a man of God, a strong man of God. And I was talking to Peter and said, Peter, you've been so supportive. I just want to ask you, how, how are you doing, Peter? How are you doing? 
I know your back. I know you're not able to move much. You can basically just c- kind of get around your, your little neighborhood. But how are you doing, Peter? This is what he told me. He said, you know what, Josiah, this back issue that debilitates me and allows me not to walk, I have been asking God to take it away. God, heal me. He said, I have been pressing in and praying, Lord, take this away. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to have this anymore. And he said, you know, I really for months and months and months prayed this. He said, and then God spoke to me. And I will never forget the words that Peter said, that God said to him. This is what God said to him about his trial. He said, Peter, you have always led out of strength. And now... I am going to teach you to lead out of weakness. What was God saying? He was saying there was things that need to change. And that's the reason that I took you through this story. There was things that you were too dependent on that I needed to strip from you to make you press in more than me. There was things in your life that you had gotten comfortable with that if I didn't bring this storm into your life, you would not come to me the way that you need to. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. He says that God brings trials sometimes in our life because we are too dependent on ourselves. Some of you in this room may be going through a storm because you become too dependent on yourself. Some of you in this room may be going through a trial because God is trying to mature you in a way that would have taken years through a normal, good, everyday season. And God's saying, I want to get you there quicker than you than you would get there normally. And so we have this joy because we have this hope that cannot be taken away from us, that everything that comes in our life, God can work it for our good. He does it in an amazing, amazing, amazing way. And God provides for us. So we're patient when we're struggling. And we're faithful to say every single day prayers to say, God, give me the strength. Give me the perseverance. Give me the love. And the final verse says this in 13. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, part of the reason that we work and that we have resources, what the Bible says, is so that we can bless other people. Literally, not just to provide for your own family, of course, right? But it's also actually to bless other people. And so live a lifestyle in this new way to say, God, how can I be a blessing to other people? And when you bless people, can I challenge you with something? If you really want to make a mark upon somebody's life, if they ask for $20, don't just give them 20, give them 40. They're not going to remember the 20. They're going to remember you going above and beyond, in Jesus' words, that extra mile. Not just giving them what they asked for, but going far beyond what they could ever ask. And he talks about practicing hospitality, using your home as a tool. This word hospitality is the, means the love of strangers. Paul is saying pursue the love of strangers. I don't know if you know this, and I'll, I'll land the plane here. I don't know if you know this, but our church has been involved now for over 10 months in loving the migrants that have come into Chicagoland area. Let, let, me, let me tell you about a few things. We, we, you know, we talk about it, but not everyone always gets to hear. We, 10 months ago, had migrants who came in, and, and so they started putting them up in all these hotels. And we started hearing about it. And they were secret. No one would say where they were. But, you know, we, got, we know people. So we, we found out things, you know. People talked. And so we said, hey, we want to start meeting. 
So we started to bring, we took clothes donations and food donations, anything that they needed, and would bring it there. We weren't even allowed to go in the hotel, so we'd bring it to the parking lot. Boxes of shampoo, anything that these people needed. Why? We didn't owe them anything. You know why? Because we wanted to love the stranger. So then we started paying for buses and started busing them to our different locations. Why? Because we know, hey, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus. They need to connect with some other believers. So we started busing them every single week, every single week. For 10 months, we had been busing migrants to different New Life locations. We have building open that migrants, church buildings like this, the migrants are living in the basement of. We are feeding 1,500 people a day through our New Life centers in all of the major police districts. If you drive past and you see them flooded with migrant stuff, we're the ones who are there feeding them every single day. We're loving these people in Jesus' name. And let me tell you, we've had some people, one of the first times we were going to bring them into the Sunday service uh, uh, at Midway, uh, one of the brothers, strong guy, clean on drugs from 20 years, you know, this guy really, but strongly opinionated. He told one of our pastors, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think they should be here. I don't think they should, I don't think they should be and so Pastor Mike, who's one of the pastors at Midway, was saying, oh, no, you know, this guy, you know, I just hope he's nice to them when they come in. So the next week, all these migrants, 100 migrants are in the foyer of the church. They're all here. And we see this brother brushing shoulders with them. And, and Pastor Mike's thinking, oh, no, man, I hope this guy's being nice to a man and not saying, why are you guys here? You know, he's got a strong opinion. He walked back to pa Pastor Mike a few minutes later and said, Pastor Mike, look him right in the eye. Pastor Mike, I want to apologize. Why? He said, I want to apologize. He said, I looked those people in the eye, and he saw, I saw people who were hurting and who were scared. He said, we as Christians need to be there to help them and to love them. Do you know how many migrants have come to faith now because of New Life's involvement? Over 100 migrants have made a decision to follow Jesus, and dozens of them have taken the step of baptism to go alongside with their faith. I say that, why do we do that? Hey, the old us may not have stepped up to do that. The old us would say, oh, maybe the government, maybe the city will handle it. But you know what? The new mentality that we have, the new life that we have in Jesus says, you know what? This is the church's responsibility. And if there's people that are coming into our city that need to be loved, the church needs to be the first one to love them. The church needs to be the one that cares. These are asylum seekers, people who have lost their children. Talk of people who lost their one-year-old child when they were here from dehydration. Another family that their, their daughter didn't make it out of Mexico because the cartel took her as a sex slave. These are hurting people. And we know that in trials, God can even use those for his glory. So we have come alongside these people. It's messy, but it's beautiful. And there will be people in eternity that because we had the mentality and the mindset that God wanted for us as a church, there will be people in heaven that will say, thank you, New Life, for loving me. Thank you for caring enough to give. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for mentoring me. Thank you for inviting me in as a stranger into your home because I found Jesus because of your help. I found Jesus because of your love. And we love people in a way that's different than each other. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us so that we could come to him and have new life when we didn't deserve it. And my mentality and our mentality as a church is this. How could we not 
offer that to everybody and anybody, no matter what their story or their background is, because when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. Amen? Well, hey, as we close in this worship song, would you just reflect on the words of Scripture this morning and, and ask yourself, and allow the Holy Spirit to prod, is there any areas of this that you need to submit to? I'm going to have you stand. we sing this final song, are there, are there any areas in your heart that God is saying, and you're not loving that person or loving in a way that's real and making them evidence? You're not, you're not going through that trial like I want to. You're not in your workplace. There's some changes that need to happen there. It's just a reminder. I, I'm not who I used to be. I'm, I'm not like everybody else. I am different because Jesus has changed me. And so as we sing this final song, would you just reflect on that and allow Jesus, his spirit, who's here and present, just minister to you. And I want to challenge you to have clarity on saying, God, I heard you, but I just don't, I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer, God. Give me something to say to do. Let's sing. Let's sing.
such a pleasure to be with you guys here today. Seriously, um, I was look, like I said, I was looking forward to all week to be able to just be with you present. So I'm going to close with a word of prayer, but as I do after every service, if there's anything that you need to pray about, um, that you want me to pray about now or even put on my prayer list, I, I try to stay as long as I can after every service just to pray with people. I know people are going through stuff. Sometimes it's a quick word of advice, Pastor, I really need so just know I'll be up here at the front if anyone needs to come forward and pray or just needs some, uh, needs a word of advice in a season, all right? Lord Jesus, what a beautiful congregation, Lord. Thankful for the transformation that this room represents, God. God, you have transformed so many people in here, God. Their lives look so different. Their families look so different, God. Their, 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 their work looks so different. Every part of their life, God, has been changed because of their relationship with you. And so we pray, God, we pray for your strength and your mercy. God, we pray for your love and your eyes. We ask, Father, that as we leave just this physical.